said. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hope you had an amazing Thanksgiving. It's awesome to be with you. Uh, so, so grateful to God and what he's done for us and what he's doing. I know our youth are going downstairs for service, so if you uh, have a child or teenager or young adult, whatever they classify themselves as from 6th uh, grade to 12th, they're welcome to join them downstairs. We do have Kids XP down there as well. We'll be calling them up, so if my tech team and my uh, security will remember, kids and youth are coming up for the baptism. Love you guys. So glad you're here. I'm so blessed. Excited about the message. Already been blessed today just talking to just a few of you before the service and preparing for the baptism as well as our just our brothers and sisters from the Gospel Rescue Mission. You guys, I just want you to know how much you mean to us and that you bless our heart. I have not been able to come down there for a while trying to respect their uh, understanding of what's going on with this uh, COVID stuff, but I want you guys to know and to share that with them down there that uh, our heart is with you and pray for you daily, um, and we want to get there as soon as we can, so thanks for being here. So proud of those that have graduated from the program and that are still here. It is our desire that you would see this as your home, not just through the program, but when God gets you to celebrate and leave and graduate from that place that you have a home. We want you to know that you're part of our family. As we begin the Advent season today with this first Sunday, throughout my life, I am 58 years old and I've been in the church since I was born. My father was a pastor and uh, I was raised in the church. I did not follow the teachings of God or his ways as a, a young man. But God's mercy reached out to me and I continued to go to church. And because I was in church, and I want every parent and grandparent to hear me, because I was in church, God had an opportunity to speak to me. It is so important for you to have your kids and grandkids be in church. I can't emphasize that enough. I didn't like being in church. I didn't want to listen. I didn't want to be there. I didn't like my parents' rules. But God had a chance to speak to me. And He changed my life. And I don't know where I'd be today if I wasn't in church. Because it was in church that I found Christ as my personal Savior. Dave was not interested in God or His things or His ways. And when I was a boy, I want to take you way back to when I was in peewee baseball. This is not a bragging thing. I want you to hear me. I was an all-star second baseman, all-city, and all that stuff that was going on. And you know what happened? Wednesday night was prayer meeting night of all things. Are you kidding me? Prayer meeting? At 6.45, my brother was there, and I was pulled out of the game to go to church. I would come to church in my baseball uniform, mad as all get out. But I learned something. God is more important than anything else in your life. Please hear me. I'm begging you. Because you see, in our culture today, we have seen God as an elective or something as part of our life instead of being the center of our life. And I'm not just talking about in the world. I'm talking about in the church and Christianity and families of the church. A lot of parents are like, you know, I don't want to fight with them. You send them to school. They don't have an option. 
come on. Where's our priorities with God? This is not a lecture. Maybe it is. It's an encouragement. I, I want you to know there, there's nothing more important. We were singing about it. Nothing. Nothing more important. Your life, your health, your economic standing, any of that, nothing is more important than God. That's your heater coming on. Don't be thinking Jesus is coming. <laughs> there has probably never been in my lifetime a more needed message of hope than this first Sunday of Advent. And the circumstances that we have been facing and all the turmoil of life that has been brought to us in this year, the message of the first Sunday of Advent is hope. Man, we need hope. As we look back in history to the very first Advent, we're going to learn some history from the Scriptures and what God's doing. And I want you to know God is good to His Word, but He is rarely in a hurry. Man, I'm always asking Him to speed it up. I am. I'm like, I want Him to do stuff for me, and I need it today. And it rarely happens today. Part of the reason is it really needs to happen. But I think it needs to happen, and so it needs to happen now. And so as we look back in history, I want you to know that as you read your scriptures and you look into history, the, the first Advent announcement came in the midst of a political dark time. That's not a uh, negative about what's going on. It's just a reality of what we're looking at. It was a politically dark time. It was an economically challenging time. It was a spiritually gray time. It was a tough time. See, Israel and Jerusalem were under Roman rule. And throughout their history, it seemed like they were constantly being ruled by somebody because of their disobedience to God. The last word from God, and I'll get this, and you'll talk all of us unpatient people, Dave, it had been 400 plus years since the nation of Israel had heard a word from God. Okay. <laughs> All right, come on, man. 400 plus years since any prophetic word, since any vision, since any prophet of God stood up to give a word of God saying, this is the word of the Lord. 400 years. Generation after generation had come and died. The last time they heard from God was through the prophet Malachi. Malachi was a prophet in Jerusalem. We know in looking at his words, which must, a lot of people don't, it's, it's spelled Malachi. It's the only Italian prophet in the Bible, by the way. Just so if you know where we're looking. It's, that helped me out when I was doing spelling tests. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, so in all seriousness, he was the prophet in Jerusalem that, that took place. Now, a while back we did a series on Nehemiah because he's one of my heroes of the Bible, amazing leader of God. And Ezra was the priest, so... Nehemiah was sent back from the captivity, from the Babylonian captivity and the Persian captivity back in the Old Testament there. And he came back and they rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. Ezra, the priest, had been come back and he was leading the people in the rebuilding of the temple. We know that Malachi served as a prophet within one generation of those individuals and probably knew them. 
The reason we know this is because when Malachi prophesied, we know that the the temple had been reopened because the sacrificial system was back into play. Now, the interesting thing about it was, even though they, at that time in the day of Malachi, were still under Persian governor, they had a this dictator from Persia who had taken over the Babylonians, etc. If you look in your history and the Medes and the Persians and all that stuff that was going on. They had a Persian governor that was over Jerusalem and over the nation of Israel. So here's these people that had been released from captivity to come back and be able to be part of what God was doing and the promise that he gave through the prophet Jeremiah before the captivity. We're going to bring you back home. Don't worry. God says, I got you. You're going to come back. You're going to rebuild this place and the temple, and you're going to worship me here. So these are the people that saw the promise of God, were living in the promise of God, and yet we find these people not doing the right thing. Come on. It's crazy. The temple priests were lax in what they were doing, and the people themselves were lax in what they were doing. Malachi writes this in his very first chapter. You have shown, this is God, by the way, you have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. How do they do that? When you give blind animals a sacrifice. Isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Church, by the way, if you don't know your, the Bible, when God told them to begin the sacrificial system, he said, you search through your flocks and you give me your very best. Do not bring the, line, the lame or the blind to sacrifice to me. It's like they're bringing him the coals. He said, bring your best. Your governor and see how pleased he is. <laughs> Says the Lord of heaven's armies, go ahead. Beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of an offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Asked the Lord of heaven's armies. I don't know if you noticed something, but both times God said he's the Lord of heaven's armies. Okay. How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I will not accept your offerings. Wow, it's a pretty incredible message, right? Remember, today's theme is hope, so don't get despaired right here. <laughs> so now as we look at this moment in history and we see what's going on, it's like God is saying to them, like, I just redeemed you. You're living in the newness of what I've created and rebirthed for you that I promised you would have, and you're still not functioning the way I've asked you to function. Okay. People had stopped tithing their income. They'd had all kinds of other issues. Hey, brother, if you need me, come on over here. So why talk about this today? There are two main themes in the book of Malachi, just so you know. I'm going to mute my mic because I got a message from the side here. So. All right. 
For those of you that are online, we have a radio station coming in for you, and that's not me. Just so you know, just stay with us, and we're working on it. All right, so why we talk about this today, there's two main themes in the book of Malachi. If you read that short minor prophet book, and that's what it's classified as, not that he's a minor prophet, but it's in the category of the major and the minor prophets in the scriptures. There was a theme in that book. God's people must live and do what God says. That's the main theme. The second theme that comes right underneath it is this. God's people must remember and have hope in the promise of the coming Messiah. So here's the, here's the thing he's saying, look, first off, you need to live right. And the second thing is, as you're struggling through these hard days, remember you have hope of a promise of God of something coming down the road that is better. Amen. Church, come on. Amen. There is a message of hope. This, there was a theme throughout Israel's history. And this was their theme. This was their history. And here it is for you. And seeing... It matches a lot of people's lives. Anyway, here's where, here we go. From one challenge to another, this was Israel. They faced national crisis. Oh God, help us, redeem us, set us free. God comes, sends forth a redeemer. He sets them free, establishes them, allows them to live in freedom and joy and peace. They celebrate that fact in the moment. They get wrapped up in life and they turn away from God. They turn away from God because they get wrapped up in all the blessings of life. And then... God sends forth a discipline of a punisher to come to awaken the people. In the midst of their darkest days, they cry out, Oh, you're God. We need you. Please help us again. Over and over again. Just read the Old Testament. It's ridiculous. Continuous. Continuous. All right. Some people live their life like that. We need to settle the question. It's not about what's happening around us. It's about who is in charge of our life. And that is God and His promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. And He is the one that will bring stability to your life. So, this message of Malachi continues to ring out into the ears of the people. This was God's last message to them through prophetic utterance. Now we move forward in their history to 400 years to the moment of the promise. <laughs> pretty awesome such a good thing so now the temple is going on sacrifices are happening there's the priestly families whom do certain jobs within the offering of the bread the incense altar all those things that they had do there was one high priest but then there were priestly ministers of the family that did other aspects of the ministry in the temple and so Zechariah is a member of the priest's family and he it's his time to serve inside the temple and doing the incense. So remember, 400 years of nothing. Zechariah comes in to do his work inside the temple and an angel of the Lord appears. <laughs> Just another day like any other day. Just another function at the temple of God. Just another day of what we're doing today and all of a sudden an angel shows up right next to the altar and of course he's freaked out 
Now, understandably, I'm not making light of that at all. But I, I'm going to read a little section of this. We're going to jump into this message for a minute in the, the messenger from, the, from God. But this is the one statement I want to bring out first. In the midst of the message, the angel says this. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So John the Baptist is the one we're speaking of, and you're going to learn that in just a moment as we go through the Scripture. So here in the message from the angel, he tells Zechariah, you are going to have a son, and he will be the one to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Now throughout all of Israel's history... They had looked for this day. For God had not only given the promise to Adam and Eve in the garden that He would send the Messiah, but He made that covenant with Abraham, their forefather, whom God said, I'm going to bless all nations through your seed, and I will send forth the Messiah. Now, all of Israel knew this, and they taught this. The priests taught this. The people knew this. This is something they were looking for. Let's look at something else here. We're going to jump back to the beginning of the message, and it's important that we all heard that so we know where we're going. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Hear this. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you're going to name him John. God heard your prayers. Here's the answer. God's doing it. Interesting thing here. The angel gives the baby the name John. It's important for us as we look later that the name John is going to play a role in Zachariah's obedience to God in the message. Jumping down, and we're going to continue in this message. Zachariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now. My wife is also well along in her years. This is a smart man. Did you see that? I'm old. She's just well along. Anyway, then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Don't doubt God. So listen, this is an interesting thing. The angel said, God has heard your prayer. I'm here to answer it. So Zachariah had been asking for a kid. God says, you're going to have a kid. Zachariah says, I don't see that happening. Now this will remind you, this is a priest. The priest who is a descendant of Abraham, whom is the father of a nation, whom had a child when he was 100 years old. So here he had taught those things, believed those things, and yet it couldn't happen in his life. Man, let that sink into us, church. We've taught those things, believed those things, but for me doesn't make sense doesn't matter what God said doesn't even matter what God's done 
My situation is different. Uh-uh. Okay. Just wondering how amazing it is that we as God's people who've experienced things from God will doubt that same God on the things that He's already done in our past, let alone what He's done in history. You know? You know how we like that? That's just crazy that we would doubt that. Here's Zechariah seeing an angel of God who he's already freaked out about. And he says, I've been sent here by God to give you a message. He's heard your prayers answered. It's like, I, I can't believe that. Just put all that together. It's just crazy. So the people are waiting outside, it says. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary wondering why he was taking so long. I was working in the nursery wondering the same thing every Sunday. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Check this out right here. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. Ooh, something's up. God's doing something. 400 years of nothing, and they all knew their history. They all knew that Malachi was the last prophetic word given. They knew the theme of Malachi was look for hope. God's sending the Redeemer. Something happened in the very temple of God. It stirred a commotion among the people. As we look at this now, finally, a vision from God happens. A priest comes out and can't talk. Elizabeth, who is an elderly lady, gets pregnant. Zechariah cannot speak for the full pregnancy. Another gift, probably, from God for <laughs> Elizabeth. Alright. <laughs> Either way, being a son of promise and hope, we want to look at something here uh, in Luke chapter 1 at the birth of John. Here you go. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zachariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What, they exclaimed? There is no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted him to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. I think Zachariah learned something. In his months of silence, that God is good to his word. And he acted in full obedience to what God said for him to do now and said, No, he's got a name. And it's a name given from God above. His name is John. Check this out. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again. And he began praising God. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood. Listen to this. And the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, What will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Okay. Folks, if you read that section of Scripture there and you read verses 67 through 79, which we won't do this morning, 
but it is a prophetic word that when Zechariah's tongue was loose and he began to praise God, he gave a prophetic message about the fact that John would be the messenger that would usher the way for the coming Lord where the people would have the Messiah. Everybody's talking about it. So God was up to something in the midst of all the dark political stuff, economic issues, the other things they were facing. And here is a priest of God giving a message from God that the baby that he and his wife just had would be the forerunner of the Messiah. Don't you think in the midst of all that darkness there should have been a little ray of celebration and hope? See, that message had been learned since they were children. Every priest taught that day would come. Priest, I'm talking about the priest right now, so hear me. The day finally arrives, and God chose a priest to deliver the message to the people. A message of hope that would go forth from God through this priest to God's people to let them know God is up to something. Now, this message of hope, this message from God did come while things were not politically great. They were still under Roman rule. In a little bit of time, very small time, actually right after the birth of John, their entire lives would be dislodged as they were ordered to go back to their family of origin's place for a census and a tax. There's a message of hope. Listen. But now we're facing more taxes. And I've got to dislodge my life. Are you kidding? See how quickly we lose the message of hope when we face life circumstances that we don't like. Their own king was wicked. Now, that's not a political reference, so just so you know. It's not. Their king was a wicked, wicked man. I'm talking about the king of Israel, not the king of Rome. He was too. So in the midst of this darkness came a message of light. God's doing something. So what we find as we look in the history of the people and in their own culture is not a national party or celebration. There's people talking about it. I just think, you know, if you had your whole life looking for this moment, and here's this vision from God finally comes and says, here's the kid. Shouldn't people be paying attention? I mean, like, it's happening. So here's, here's we're going to speed up a little bit. Not the message. I'm talking about where we are in time. During Jesus' ministry... He asked the priests about who the John the Baptist was. Jesus, get this, asks the priests, the ministers, the Pharisees, and all those that are in the leadership of the church, who they interpreted John to be and where did his message come from? Matthew 21. When Jesus returned to the temple and began teaching, the leading priests and the elders came to him and they demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. If you answer one question, Jesus said, 
Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask us why we didn't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, we'll be mobbed because the people believe John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. John was a son of a priest. The priest gave a message prophetically after having a vision from God and being silenced for nine months. Ladies and gentlemen, this is only about 30 years later. This same kid the son of Zechariah, one of their own priests that they knew personally. Guarantee you that. It wasn't a small thing for someone that was old to have a kid. It wasn't a small thing to have a vision of God in the temple. And yet here we have the priests themselves denying John's message. The messenger of hope, the prophetic word being spoken. And they're like, yeah, we're done with him. How many times has God spoken to us, revealed truth to us? We know it's God. And yet, in a little bit of time, with life circumstances, with stuff that we got to deal with, no longer is it God's word. No longer do we believe it. We don't accept it. They rejected God's messenger of hope. Unbelievable, isn't it? So church, you know, we're still going through a lot of chaos in our culture. I know that. There's so much junk going on. I want you to know there's more junk coming. There's a prophetic word for you. It's not ending. Things are going to get crazier. What about it? We have hope. Look, if you just look in reality of the history of God, His Word, what He says, the United States deserves, and I mean this, you've got to hear me, to be wiped off the planet. We have turned our backs on God after all of His gracious mercy. God has allowed us to function in our own pride and arrogance. We have turned our back on Him. We have turned our back on His teachings. In the church, we're not acknowledging Him. There are churches today that will be meeting. There are ministers that are standing in pulpits that don't even believe the Word of God is God's Word. There are people in churches today that are living lives contrary to the very basic teachings of God's Word, and we just think everything's okay. We sing songs of worship. We praise God and think nothing matters but what I want and what I need. And here we are, church, in the midst of darkness and we're wondering why God's not moving. Do you remember what He said in Malachi? You wonder why I'm not doing stuff? Try and offer what you're offering to your governor and see what they do. He's calling His church. That's me and you. That's everyone listening. That's the churches that are meeting around the country to repent and live the life that God has called us to live. For we have a Redeemer that's Jesus Christ who has destroyed the works of the enemy, brought to us a message of hope, given us hope in this life and the one to come. And by the way, He's coming again. We're going to give account to that. Church, we've got to step up. 
We have to step up. The Word of God is truth. It is the hope of the world. And this world needs hope. They don't have any. They rejected it. Right there before them, a vision, prophetic word, God moving. God was moving. John the Baptist was preaching repentance and baptism, calling people to turn from their sins. And it was happening in droves of people in the midst of that dark climate in which they were. And the people in the church would not listen. As we listen today, I want to challenge you. We ask an accountability question every single week. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you? See, when God is stirring our hearts, the Holy Spirit is calling us. He is doing something because God knows our tomorrows. And He is preparing us for tomorrow today. So when the Holy Spirit is speaking and He's calling, we need to be obedient. We need to move and we have to put our faith in what God is saying and does say. Right now. Okay? What truth has God revealed to you through His Word, through a message, through a song? I don't care where it comes from. It's affirmed in God's Word. It will never be contrary to God's Word. Guarantee you that. Any message the Holy Spirit brings to you will align with Scripture. If it doesn't align with Scripture, that's not the Holy Spirit. Get rid of it. Listen, whatever God has said to you through His Word, why are we doubting it? And why are we trying to dismiss it? See, as children of God, we have these things that God's called us to deal with, and they're not always easy. He's confronting us. He's confronting us in our brokenness to bring healing and hope. See, the political, social, health, or economic condition of our country does not dictate, nor does it change God's message. Or who he is. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. Please understand, none of it matters. Do you trust God's promises today? Do you trust him in whatever you're going to face tomorrow? See, right now, you already know God's good to His Word. Look, we just looked at one little thing, like very tiny little aspect in God's Word where God said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this. It was confirmed, confirmed, confirmed throughout all the Old Testament prophets that God was going to do it. God, it just took a really long time to us. But He did it. So whatever's going on in your life, I just want you to know God's not in a hurry, but He's good to His Word. And if God's spoken it, He's going to do it. Be patient as we wait for Him because God's going to do it. But in the meanwhile, see, God is asking us to have faith and trust. In the meanwhile, have faith and trust because God's up to something. I want you to know right now, today, God's up to something. God is up to something in the United States of America. He is. He's up to something in His church. There is a stirring and God is calling for an awakening of His people. Are you awake? Do you hear him? Do you know what he's saying? Let's respond to him. The altar's open. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for Jesus. Make sure our kids are coming up here, would you? God, as we are waiting before you right now, and we, we don't want to just jump into the baptism to miss out on what you're trying to say to us right here and now. 
if you in this congregation right now, if you online, if you're listening, and God has spoken to you and you've doubted, you've been in confusion and you've allowed the, the chaos of this world around you to kind of monopolize your faith, right now, let's surrender that to Him. God, I surrender that to you right now. Surrender my fears, my doubts, my confusion. Lord, we confess and we surrender our anxieties, our angers, our frustrations. We surrender. You're up to something, God. We've been asking for you to move. We've been asking for you to create a move of God in our midst. And so, Lord, we're not going to fight against what you're doing. We want to be part of it. And if it's the chaos of this culture that you have to use, then God, bring it. There's nothing more important than you. We do not say that lightly, God. Whatever it takes to bring us to our knees, to that place you need us to be, God, do it. (sighs) Man, I pray that you can say that prayer. That's not an easy prayer to say. Whatever it takes, God. Whatever it takes. I'm yours. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much, God. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.